The scripture that Anne was referring to comes from Isaiah. We're in chapter 40, beginning with verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will be faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, you heard Lisa just read from this um, this book of Isaiah. It's the longest prophetic work in the in the whole Bible, and um, it's probably the most complex. Because I think most, um, most authors and commentators believe that we probably have three different authors of this book. And when you get to the 40th chapter, what, what you have here is um, second Isaiah. Now first Isaiah, um, these were words of kind of social justice and warning. But now when we get to second Isaiah, unfortunately some of the warnings have come true. And where are these people? They're in exile. They're in Babylon. And, and the people of God are hanging by the altar of the faith by their fingernails. Um, recently in some of my trips to England, the last couple of years, I've been reminded by Churchill's role and helping the people of England rise out of the ashes and find their way through the travails of World War II. And you know this classic story. Somewhere in one of those seasons, he goes to a boys' preparatory school in England, and the headmaster gets up to introduce him. Churchill's giving the commencement address, and he says, young boys, get out your notebooks. Be prepared to take copious notes, because you're getting ready to probably hear the greatest speech you've ever heard. Well, you know that in this story, Churchill goes to the microphone, and here is his complete speech. Never give up. He pauses, pounds the podium, and says, never, 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 never give up. And he sits down, and that's it. Now, Isaiah had more than one phrase, but you could hear a little Churchillian in him, okay? Uh, he was saying to this little faithful remnant of people, uh, never, never, never fold the tent of faith. And he said, those who live and those who wait upon the Lord. Now, the biblical word of wait doesn't mean doing nothing, okay? Um, it means keep on living, um, face the task in front of you, always aware there's more going on than the reality in front of the eyes. And what's that? It's the ongoing work of God who's never finished with creation. Waiting, biblical waiting, it's the opposite of nervous, panicky manipulation, of scurrying or worrying. Waiting isn't what we do just till we get what we hope for. It's the process by which we become 
what we hope for. Now, he does chide the people a little bit. He said, excuse me, sons and daughters of Jacob, do you think God really has lost track of you? Have you not been paying attention? Have you been sleeping in class? Have you not been listening? God doesn't take a day off. God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He said, look, 16-year-olds, they're they're going to get tired. Uh, Young people are going to fall and stumble, but God is forever renewing our strength. Oh, and then Isaiah gets very specific. He starts naming the forms by which God's renewing strength assumes. Soaring, running, walking. Did you hear those? They're all action, moving verbs. As a ministerial staff, uh, we've spent a lot of time together, and we have spent a lot of time together in the last few months as we have moved through a time of denominational uncertainty. And one thing we've kind of recommitted ourselves to is to being leaders that help the people called Central to keep moving, um, to continue to be in giving and serving and living ways in this world, to keep moving. But I want us to hear the delineation of Isaiah because I think there's something crucial here in seeing the variety of ways that God gives strength. And they shall mount up with eagles first, and uh, they, they will soar. Around here, it's not going to be the eagle as much as the red-tailed hawk. And if you go out at dusk this time of year, you might see it. You're going to see around 7 o'clock or so at night a red-tailed hawk who's not taking a utilitarian flight. He's not out seeking food. He's out there flying for the sheer joy of it. This is what happens that time of day. The hot air of the valley begins to cool and these thermals start rushing up the ridge tops and there the eagle without the twitch of a muscle, without the flap of a wing can catch those thermals and you've seen him circling up, up three, four thousand feet. Soaring. What's Isaiah talking about here? He, he's talking about those moments of holy abandon, of sheer exuberance. He's talking about those moments to get beyond um, normal experience, normal expectation, into the realm of surprise. These are moments that are not quantifiable. They can't be seized. They can't be programmed. They can't be prognosticated. Don't ever let a preacher tell you that a preacher can plan those moments for you. But they're there. And they give strength, don't they? These uh, fresh starts, surprising turns and sudden twists and innovations, insights. The daughter you thought was lost forever turns around and there she is. She comes home. Just when you wrote, fixed, settled across one of the pages of your life, all of a sudden there's this wave of energy that shouts you out of some tomb of deadness and staleness. These are those mountaintop moments. You know, that The bright energy of God comes close and the glare is such the eyes water. It's like a veil is necessary. Walker Perry, a foreign policy analyst, becomes a writer. He tells about one of these breakthrough moments in his life. It was the birth of his daughter. But it wasn't really the birth. He said, no, the breakthrough moment was the first time I looked deep into her eyes. Have you ever done that, a newborn? 
He said, I looked into her eyes. It was powerful. It was all-knowing. It was like, how long can you look into the face of God and not blink? He said, I had a whole hard time just holding that look. Um, I found myself overwhelmed by tears. And something in me just moved me down into or up into the miracle of life. Ah, those, there are such moments. There are such moments. Hang on to them. I want to be real careful here. I want to give one of these like little flashing warning symbols at this point in the sermon. Here's one problem we have in Christian circles. We try to take these moments and absolutize them, normalize them. You can almost hear some people say, if there's no ecstasy, there is no God. And so people become what I call ecstasy junkies. Oh, they go all the way from California to New York and to every revival tent, listening to every religious CD. What are they hoping for? One big mountaintop experience. And sometimes they become like people that are always going to the Easter egg hunt and they come back home with their baskets empty. Okay. That can be disillusioning. C.S. Lewis, how many times have we listened and read? You know, there's the shortest, one of the shortest books he wrote was a little book called Grief Observed. It's about his beloved, Joy Davidman, her illness and her death. And the first two or three chapters, he's utterly honest about his disappointment with God. But later, at the end of the book, he says, in hindsight, I look back and the problem wasn't God, it was with me. It was my expectation. You see, he wanted some mountaintop experience. And it was something else that he got. But he said it was there. Okay. Be careful. Don't, don't absolutize that soaring that's always going to be like that. Oh, but, but Isaiah moves on. He says, they will run and not be weary. Yeah, we, we, we are running people, aren't we? I mean, God's loved the world. He sent Jesus running into our midst. And Jesus called us to run with him into the world. And that's what we're called to do. And we wake up in the morning. And we know that you and I have been given one life to live on this planet. And each day is another opportunity to partner with God in increasing the abundance of life on this earth. And that gets us moving. And that gets us running. Tired, yes but not the kind of weariness that shuts it down. It was Karl Marx who said, religion is the opiate of the people, and religion is worst. He probably had some truth, but faith at its best, I would call it more like the thyroid of the spirit. You know what I'm talking about? It's that energy driving force that gets us out on the road. And I see it around here all the time. People taking on difficult challenges, getting over their head. Do they get discouraged? Yes. Do they get tired? Yes. But there is this reinfusion, isn't there? It's that joy, that energy of being a part of something larger than yourself. Second win, third win. True story. On Saturday afternoon, a minister walked into the parking lot of the church because 
the senior high to just come back from Philadelphia, uh, it, an inner city experience they had there, and it been quite a week. They'd been painting old church buildings and teaching vacation church school and working in soup kitchens, and now they've had a 12-hour drive back from Philadelphia, and they're sitting there, and they were the tiredest, most exhausted bunch of teenagers you've ever seen. They looked like something the cat had drug in. And the preacher sees this 16-year-old boy sitting on his sleeping bag waiting for his parents to pick him up. And he walks over and says, son, are you tired? The boy looks up and says, yeah, I'm really tired. But then he pauses, and this is what he says. But this is the best tired I've ever been. Do you, underst you understand that? I do. Let that 16-year-old boy go home, give him a good night's sleep, good home-cooked meal, and guess what? He'll be ready to go at it again. Why? Because it's the energy for noble living, for holy activism, it's there. But Isaiah moves his own. Here's his metaphor. And those that wait upon the Lord, they shall walk and not faint. Doesn't sound like much, does it? Really, Isaiah? I mean, aren't you a preacher? Don't you know you're supposed to save the, you know, the big, the big stuff for last, right? Really? We're going to just talk about walking and not fainting? You know, there are some commentators that have suggested that the early scribes who took Second Isaiah's writings and put them there into the Torah and the writings that they somehow got things reversed or, or maybe they took a little editorial privilege and they said, oh, I'm sure Isaiah meant this to be an ascending sermon. First we walk and then we run and then we soar, right? I don't know. I don't know. Haven't you found, I think I have, that sometimes... The biggest challenges in life come not out of our point of strength, but our points of utter helplessness, utter helplessness. Yeah. You talk to somebody who's down on the bottom looking up to the bottom, and they'll tell you that just the strength to get up, to take another step, to live another day, just the strength to walk is sometimes the greatest gift of all, okay? Maybe that's where some of you have been. Maybe that's where somebody in the room is right now. Okay. It happens. Ross, can you take us, I think we're getting a lot of feedback on this mic or something. How about we just go to the pulpit mic, okay? Now it happens, folks. The phone rings, the letter comes, the policeman knocks at the door, the doctor says the report comes back, and we're not ready for it. We're ambushed by it. All of a sudden, there, there we are. All we can do is accept a new reality that we would have never chosen, but now has chosen us. Nothing that can be done just to, but to accept it. I was thinking this week about some of the families of this church, and they have recently been to the grave of their own child. Okay. Yeah, you, you know the story of Riley 
Howell, who was a part of this community and lost his life there on the UNC Charlotte campus. And his mother said this to the press, so I feel free to say it to you. She said, um, it's like all the color has been taken out of my life. You see, when there are still plots to be hatched and angles to be pursued, Suit and human stratagems to, stratagems to be followed. You, you know, we can find strength for the fight, but what do you do when there's nothing to be done? When there's nothing to be done except to grieve, to hurt, and hold out and hold on. Joseph Piper said in those moments, there's two great temptations. One is just the temptation of bitterness. That we, we can't quite accept our humanity, our, the limitations of being finite creatures. And we say something like this should never happen to me. Bitterness. But then he goes on, he says, but there's another alternative, and it's the alternative to just fold the tent. To say, oh yeah, I'll keep up my pulse and respiratory living, but try to ask something more out of me, and no, I quit. But I've seen it, you've seen it, right? People right here among us. And they walk through the darkest valley of the shadow and they do come out on the other side still fully alive. We wanna know how. I've had a couple of opportunities, several actually, to ask people after they have merged out of the shadows. I said, I wanna ask you something. And, and this isn't the question of a preacher, this is just one human being to another human being. I said, when you were down there at the bottom, was there anything? Was there anyone? I heard this one woman say yes, yeah. Someone was there. She said there were moments, there were moments of grace and goodness. She said, I don't remember any one breakthrough moment but there were moments. She said it was more of an hour to hour, day by day kind of thing, yeah. What did E.L. Dottero say? On a dark night, you can't see any farther than the headlights, but you can take the whole trip that way. Hmm. To believe, I think to believe in God is to piece together of faith that's adequate day by day, hour by hour. I say piece it together, because that's what I do. A familiar verse of scripture that finds its way into my mind at two o'clock in the morning, a hymn I learned as a child reverberating in my heart, a late night conversation with a friend walking by here on a Tuesday morning and hearing Corey and the, the swell of this organ in the sanctuary. A moan of silent kneeling at the altar. The morning song of a bird, the winsome smile of a child, the friends that sat with you all through the night in the waiting room. Piece them together. I piece them together. I think that's biblical. I think that's biblical. When those moments come to you, 
Press them like a rose in the pages of your days. Inscribe them on the tablet of your heart. Piece them together because they become a chain called trust. Don't think Isaiah is some pie-in-the-sky prophet. He got up every morning, and what did he see? He saw his people in exile, thinking he may never even go back home. But here's what else he saw. He saw the world as a mosaic of both dark and light. And he never lost sight of the light, of the flickers of God's light. To believe in God is to believe in purposes at work even when we can't see the whole of it. It is to believe that God is at work even when we don't know it and we don't recognize it. It is to believe ultimately in the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God. There's strength there. It's the strength of radical trust. Any of you remember as a child um, having some of those childhood nightmares? I do. I can still remember one. I can tell you, I remember I was five years old and I can remember this still vividly to this day. I was sitting there, I probably had something of a childlike childhood fever and this big mean looking truck with mean looking men backed into my room and dumped hundreds of pounds of fish on my bed. Now I don't get too Freudian with any of that and try to figure out my dreams, but I woke up and I was screaming, I was crying. Wasn't the first time, wasn't the last time. And this is what always happened when I woke up in the middle of a nightmare. Someone came. This is my mom. I can still remember that. I remember coming into the room, holding me close, kind of rocking me back and forth, and then saying, Robert, it's it's all right. It's all right. All is, all is well. And it was enough. It was enough just to lie back in the arms of that grace. Now what I did not realize at that moment, it was later in life I realized that my mother was being the resident theologian of our house that night. You say, come on. She was just a, no, no. She was being a theologian. Really? Yeah. Because this is what my mother in essence was saying. She's saying, son, beyond this one night, beyond this one nightmare, beyond this one dark room. All is well, all is well. Oh, but the cynic would say, what gave her the authority to make such a statement when she knows that along the way I would experience the same harsh realities that she had come to know? What gave her the authority, the right to say that? Here's what. Maybe, maybe in that moment, she was standing on the promises of God's presence. She's staying in spite of this one night, this one bad dream. And when it's all said and done, she and I and you are floating, floating on a sea of providence and grace. 
It helps me to know that my mother said that. It helps me to know that a prophet like Isaiah said something like that. Maybe it helps me even more to know there was another one who came along our way who said much the same thing. You know who he was. His name was Jesus. And he came into the nightmares of our days, um, bearing our burdens and carrying our brokenness. And with the scars in his hands, he said, peace be with you. All is well. All is well. Do you believe that? I, I believe that. And in that trust, I think that's where I find it. That's where you find it. The strength to get up, brush ourselves off, take another step, walk another hour, another day, and not faint. Amen.